0: It's gritty, it's a bit dirty, it's a bit gray, it's a bit shady. She perhaps might make compromising choices that we haven't seen before. We have a woman who has the seed of rebellion within her. That's what we see in Andor. We see a woman lean in to the seed of her own rebellion.
1: Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch, where we talk all Star Wars all the time. And to be clear, when I say all the time, I mean usually under an hour each week. Don't worry, this is not a live stream. There are no live feeds. We're not Big Brother. But if you'd like to talk Big Brother, I could certainly do that as well. Shout out to Taylor Hale. No, we're here this week to talk Andor, specifically episode four of Andor, And we are specifically going to talk with one of the stars of the show and the rebellion, I might add. Genevieve O'Reilly, Mon Mothma herself, will be joining us to chat about her introduction here on the show. And having to deal with what might just be the suckiest on-screen husband in the galaxy. (laughs) We've got that and plenty more to get into. I'm Dalton Ross, joined by Lauren Morgan and a woman who, judging by her Instagram lately, loves baseball just as much, if not more, than Star Wars. Devin Cogan's back.
2: I I am back. I I took some time off, and my dad and I went to. Uh, we saw Albert Pujols hit 700, which is a. Um, that's like my one jock thing is that I like baseball, mm. but otherwise it's all like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, just pure nerd nerdery. But I, what I is do this have
3: baseball. You're talking of
2: yeah, that's the the one the one thing. Although I have always wanted to go. A lot of stadiums do. This is totally off topic, but they do Star Wars nights where everybody yes. brings lightsabers and dresses up yep. as crazy. I've you know characters. I've always wanted to do that. That's like a perfect intersection of my interests.
1: We have a well we had a team in our town who apparently is now leaving our town of Montclair. Don't know if you knew that, Lauren. I didn't know. The, the New Jersey Jackals are apparently moving on, Pregan. but they would do a Star Wars night every year. That for some reason I'm not a huge baseball guy. Um, but, uh, yes, Devin Cogan was there with her father looking crazed, uh, as number 700 was hit over the fence. Uh, we too hope to hit a home run this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Very
2: much. Nice transition. <laughs> Thank, you very much.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to have Genevieve O'Reilly, Mon Mothma join us in, in a little bit, but first I thought we could all discuss episode four of Andor. Devin missed out on our discussion last week, uh, as Lauren and I were talking about the first three episodes. And what we said then is that, you know, moving was kind of slow. Think it could have used a tighter edit, but like eventually we felt good about where the show was going. Like ultimately we thought could have gotten there quicker, could have maybe done without some of these flashbacks, but we're happy with the direction where it's going now. There's a propulsion finally. And I I feel we we definitely got that in this episode, but let me just start here. Let's start the discussion. How do we feel about Stone, Skarsgård, in a fancy wig? (laughs) I kind of
3: love it I'm in favor of it Stellan Skarsgård
2: is I mean he's such a legend he's got the Marvel hookup he was just in very creepy in Dune now he's in the Star Wars universe I just feel like he he rules every time Stellan Skarsgård shows up I'm like I love it
3: He's fathered half the notable young actors in Hollywood, you know? true. So both Bill and Stellan – not Stellan, Alexander.
2: One of my favorite stories is I interviewed Alexander Skarsgård about that that Tarzan movie he did where he was in incredible (laughs) shape. And he had like – he was totally jacked and had crazy abs. And he said as soon as the day he wrapped, he just went to his dad's house and Stellan just made him pasta for an entire weekend and he just (laughs) ate pasta. (laughs) And I was like, okay, now I want Stellan Skarsgård to make me pasta. I don't have abs, but, you know, I would still
1: eat the pasta. Why do they even do that anymore in Hollywood? Like, know. we know that they CGI the muscles on them, right? Every time you see some dude, like, it's like half that is CGI. Those are not real muscles. Like, I don't even know why they even bother anymore.
2: So they can tell really great stories on press guess, tours about I how, you know, right. how they ate nothing.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, look, we finally got Cassian off that damn planet. We finally got him now sort of working with the rebellion. He's part of this plan that he's going to join a team that has five days to steal an Imperial quarterly payroll for the entire Imperial site. And I feel like, here we go, right? This is what we wanted. Give this guy a mission, put him with a new band of misfit rebels, and let's do something. And I, well, we haven't really seen him do it yet. Devin, I finally feel good that we're, we're on the way.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and you know, I wasn't here last week, but I totally agree with with a lot of the things that, that you guys talked about. And we've talked about this offline is that the first three episodes were fine, but I think it was kind of a little bit of spinning wheels and sort of a little bit like, okay, when are we going to get to where we're going to go? And I, I feel like here now in episode four, I feel, I feel the same way. I'm like, okay, things are starting to happen. I'm somebody who I love a heist. I love a let's get the team together because we, you know, a bunch of people with a very particular set of skills to pull off an impossible mission um that is my absolute hands down number one favorite trope in all of media so I'm like hell yeah give me a heist like let's let's steal this payroll stuff like let's let's get to it let's let's make stuff happen so I was into it
1: Lauren, what do you think about Cassian and this uh, misfit ragtag group of rebels he's with now?
3: Well, first of all, I have to admit hearing quarterly payroll in Star Wars just sounds weird. Like I'm like, does <laughs> does the Empire use QuickBooks? Like what are they doing? I was just like, hold on, you're stealing the quarterly payroll. <laughs> but I was happy when uh, we got to see the rest of the teammates uh, that, you know, uh, Fay Marseille, who was the waif on Game of Thrones, was kind of the leader. And then Eben Moss Backrack from uh, the sh- uh, uh, the chef or the bear, I'm sorry, was on the team. He didn't get to do much this time, but I, I you know, I really liked the bear. So I'm excited to see uh, him going forward. So, you know, I'm glad to see they're joining the team, have some questions about the quarterly payroll. But I, I assume this is going to fund some rebellion ships or some X-Wings or something of that sort. What did you think, Dalton?
1: I, I'm you know, same as you all, especially what Devin said about I love a I love a heist. Um, I love a, I, I prefer when it's in a hurricane. If it's a hurricane mm-hmm. heist, that's like the best kind of heist. Uh, shout out to that that B movie. Heck yeah! Um, but it's um, <laughs> so I'm into that. I'm into the team. I'm into seeing where it goes. We got a lot of setup. I, I'm into the fact that Cassian is still not fully in this. It's still a little. He's doing it kind of as a mercenary. He doesn't fully believe in this cause, but you know. Stellan Skarsgård got him out of there, Luthen, And so now he's going to do this. And he's got some fancy piece of jewelry, I guess, he's holding on to. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm into it. I, I think what I was actually even more intrigued this episode, and we'll get to the Mon Mothma stuff in, in a minute, but I was very intrigued with the uh, imperial side of things. And we met a new character, Deidre Miro. Deidre Miro is played by Denise Gao, who's been on our podcast. Devin spoke to her a few times, and you can you can check that out. She's basically this intelligence officer. And they're kind of looking at, at, you know, they've heard about these reports about what happened uh, with this security investigation. And basically what I find really interesting is here is that I feel like we're getting a little bit of filling in the blanks of some Star Wars history, right? Like we, we found out that, all right, when they became the Empire, they first off had these sort of like corporate security forces looking things over, which we don't see at all in the original trilogy. And now I guess we find out why, because the Imperial inspectors are so fed up with it. They're basically taking it over. There's a line in this, you've rung the final bell on corporate independence, uh, which I found very interesting. And the system was then put under Imperial authority. So basically, this dude Karn, Kyle Soler, uh, you know, who I guess has to walk around like he's got a wasp in his mouth, he's the now responsible for the Empire coming in and like, Running and enforcing the laws in all these uh in all these systems, which I found very interesting
2: yeah i i'm I'm kind of love the idea that the villains of this show are not Sith lords mm-hmm. or crazy power hungry people, but they're just like middle managers. It's like I know. So many Cyril Carnes. and I'm like, that's he's such a, and the same thing with when when we meet Deirdre, it's it's just like those people who are just very meticulous and very devoted to order, and you know, devoted to the this big machine that they are part of. So I'm I'm kind of curious, I, and honestly, I'm kind of it's kind of nice to take a break from like you know, like mustache twirling Sith lords for for a little while.
1: Um, Lauren, what do you think? I don't know if it's Deirdre or Didra. It says it's, I think it's spelled Didra, but but Deirdre sounds right. I don't know. It's one of the two. Uh, Lauren, what do you think of this character? She's this very ambitious intelligence officer that's like taking on other superior officers and trying to insert herself into this investigation where she doesn't really belong.
3: I thought she was pretty interesting. I, I liked Denise Goh as an actress. She was just in the, uh, under the banner of heaven. Uh, and I liked uh, seeing Anton Lesser, who was Qyburn from Game of Thrones. So we had two Game of Thrones people on this one. And I just like seeing, you know, her kind of coming into her own. And I, I like seeing sort of the, the Empire, and the Imperial people. And they're not, yeah, as Devin said, they're not mustache twirlers. These are just people doing their jobs. And, you know, and she seems to be on the right track because she's starting to see that there's all of these coordinated things going on. And she's sensing that this is something that could be the spark of a rebellion. And she's starting to get an idea that this is happening. And everyone else is kind of like, you're just trying to climb the ladder and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, aspect. And I do like the fact that this is giving a lot more texture to the Empire. And it's not just, you know, snooty um, British people, though there are some. You're getting a little bit more m- more many more shades of gray, I'll say.
1: I like the the character of Deidre, but the only thing I will say is coming right off the heels of Kenobi, it's very Riva-esque, right? Like the other people are like, yes, hey. I think
3: that.
1: Well, the other the other folks are like, hey, you know, this isn't, you know, you know, sit back, like, stop trying to like be so yeah. ambitious. Start trying to take over. You know, you know your place. And her going over their head. Like, it's it. there is a similarity there. I
3: yeah. think there's. it might just be a different energy, but like sort of similar in, you know, uh, ferrying out something. She's, she smells that something's wrong, but I feel like, yeah, there's a, a slightly different energy that she's attacking it with.
2: Yeah, I think Reva is more, I'm going to break the rules to get what I want, whereas Deirdre is more like, I know the rules inside and out, and I'm going to manipulate them mm-hmm. um, to my best advantage
1: to to get what I want. Let me ask you all another question. How do you all feel about a slap and hug? A slap and hug is when uh, you know someone comes home and they've been missing and mm-hmm. they thought they are dead and then the mom slaps the person or, or, or the wife or the husband, whoever, the slap and then the hug, right? Like you slap mm-hmm. the person because you're mad and then you hug them because you love them. Karn got a slap and hug from his mom when he showed up at her place on Coruscant. Dude's like seemingly, I guess, out of a job now. And where do you think he's going in this series? Because is he now going to somehow insert himself back into this investigation? Or is Deidre Romero going to reach out to him? Or I theorized last week, Devin, maybe there's a way this guy pulls an agent callous and flips side because he gets so upset with the... He's got this weird righteous code and maybe... If he feels these people aren't following his code, maybe switch sides. I don't know. What do you think? Where's, where are we going with, with uh, Karn?
2: I don't think he would switch sides, but I could see him like maybe sabotaging his former employers a little bit, but I don't think he would go with the rebels or the burgeoning rebel alliance in any way, shape, or form. He's too much of a rule follower. He's, he's still got that wasp in his mouth. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, this slap and hug is, is funny. I've, I've, you know. I don't think I've ever seen anybody get slapped in real life, but everybody always gets slapped in TV always. and movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I've I've never been slapped. I've never slapped anybody to my knowledge. It's like when people <laughs> sibling, on TV.
1: Perhaps. It's like when people on TV would come home from a hard day of work and they'd immediately crack open a beer. Like, do people really do that? Like, I'm not saying people don't drink <laughs> beer. I mean, I like a good pint, but like, it's just this thing every day, ksh, uh, into enter the kitchen, drink a beer. Like, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I do that with Diet Coke. That's you my, go. that's my vice. You, you, everybody in the, in the LA office always makes fun of me because I come in in the morning at 10 AM and I, I I do my, little <laughs> and you can hear it echoes through the office of me opening my Diet Coke.
1: All right, let's do this again. Rank, rank the Diet Coke choices. Here you got three in front of you, fountain, can, and bottle. Go.
2: That's the correct order. Fountain, can, bottle. No, um, no. Uh, and no. specifically like, yeah, like the only, the only time fountain is lower is when like the machine is broken yep. and like the syrup ratio yep. is off and then, or like the carbonation is off, but no, um, can is superior. Cans are always colder than, and, and taste better than, than bottle. Um, although glass bottles are like a fancy treat. You don't yeah. always get glass bottles. Yeah. But um, I, I well, but I'm talking specifically about you know plastic bottles. I feel very strongly about this. I don't drink coffee, and Diet Coke is my vice of choice.
1: I don't drink coffee either. I used to to drink a lot of Coke. I, I can is clearly superior to fountain soda. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we're gonna edit really? your entire diatribe about the superiority of fountain soda, that, Sammy. That's getting edited out of the podcast. Let's just take that out. But the but the bubbles and like the oh, no, can't do it. Something um, magical about it.
3: I haven't had caffeine since 1999, so I have no thoughts on this.
2: I don't know how you survived as um, both a journalist and a mother.
3: It makes my head blow up. I get migraines, so it's very Fair easy enough. for me not to drink caffeine. <laughs> I'm totally fine Well, the caffeine helps it, so. the
1: migraines. That's why I used to drink it. I would get not headaches. Not for me.
3: I have confused many neurologists because it is a trigger for me, so I can't have it. But anyway, I don't think anyone needs to hear about this.
1: All right. I think what they need to hear about is Mon us Let, let's, let's get into this. <laughs> So we knew the out. We know Mon Mothma's story, right? Like we know that she was a senator uh, in the prequels, although they seem to have edited out all of her footage when she was in the prequels, ended <laughs> up in deleted scenes. We know she shows up in Rogue One uh, with Jin Urso, and then of course we know her talking about all the Bothan spies that died uh, in Return of the Jedi. Um, so. We know from Rebels, uh, we, we get to see where she sort of uh, le- leaves uh, Senate life behind mm-hmm. and officially joins the rebellion. And so this is picking up a few years before that. What we didn't know is that she had a super sucky husband. Um, he's the worst. worst. She just, he
3: is pretty bad. Yeah,
1: he's terrible. This guy, Perrin furtha And basically they have this whole scene where she gets home and there's they have to host some dinner for some governor. And she's like, "Oh, these people—they fight against me every day. They hate me." And he's basically like, "Get over it, biatch." Uh, and, yeah. And he literally says to her at one point, she's talking about like, "Oh, you know, she's fighting for all these people suffering," and he goes, "Oh, must everything be so boring and sad?"
3: <laughs> I was like, "Why did you marry this woman?"
1: Like, oh, brutal, brutal, brutal. This guy's the worst, Lauren. I can't take it.
3: He was the worst, but that apartment was divine, so I have that, to say. That, <laughs> that <laughs> apartment, apartment was wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was just the worst. And even I was like, I was a little bit like, oh, last has a husband. Didn't think about that at all. So, uh, but yeah, you can see there's a lot of tension in there. And you're like, man, this is not a supportive husband. Like, you'd think he'd at least be trying to, like, you know, not inviting her enemies to her, like, to dinner. For God's sake, man. Find somebody else to invite. The Coruscant's full of people. I am fascinated to see a little bit more about this relationship because I'm like, like, like. Does, does Mon Motha just ditch him You know, by Return of the Jedi? Is, does he finally come over to the, the rebellion side or is he just still planning dinner parties?
1: Well, I, I, I will, without spoiling too much, uh, in our chat, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly talks a lot about this mm-hmm. and basically sort of makes it seem like this dude is... Her husband is Empire. He's Imperial. Yeah. So I that leads me to think they're probably not going to last that long. That long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she also has some interesting comments I want you to listen to during the interview where she doesn't say it's an arranged marriage by any means. She doesn't mm-hmm. use those words, but she does make it seem like the marriage might have been political. Like, that you know what I mean? Sense. Like a, a political... Yeah. Um, marriage uh, that made sense for both sides, both parties, both families, both systems. I don't know what this guy does, but uh, clearly maybe not a uh, a match made in heaven, Devin.
2: Yeah, that that seems to be the vibe. Also, he seems just very he seems a little threatened by her and her like the like he's he's one of those dudes who like, you know, maybe he likes having like a senator wife and like the idea of it, but in reality, he's like a little bit threatened by her and like the fact that she's like very capable and powerful. Um yeah, I'm I'm not a fan. I although again, I totally agree with Lauren. Great apartment. Great apartment. Yeah,
3: fabulous apartment.
1: It's it, it's kind of interesting the way this show is sort of talking about things we don't usually see in the Star Wars universe. So like, basically, the very first scene of Andor, maybe for the first time ever, really acknowledged sex by having it take place in a brothel. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. interesting. And, like, obviously, Han and Leia in, you know, in uh, Force Awakens, we saw they are having some, you know, a 20-year a, a lover's quarrel or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, this is different. Like, this is, like, right in the, in, in the marriage. We go into the home. Argument about a dinner party. That's not something we've ever seen in Star Wars before. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. And that's kind of what I feel like Tony Gilroy with Rogue One did it when he sort of came in to to finish that up. Obviously, he wasn't there at the very beginning. But like and now with this, it's like he's doing things that we're not used to seeing in Star Wars. And it's It's interesting. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 always curious to see kind of new stories set in this universe. And I kind of like the idea. I, I'm curious to see kind of where Andor lands because it's telling a bunch of different stories. You've kind of got this this like political, you know, almost like marriage drama with everything that's happening with Mon Mothma. You've kind of got a spy thriller. Um, you've kind of got like this like gritty coming of age story with everything with with Cassian. And it's just I'm I'm curious. It's juggling like kind of a lot of genres and I'm kind of curious to see kind of where it all shakes out.
1: This is, but this is what I wanted, right? Like I'm kind of a political junkie. Like the first news I read every day is politics news. Mm -hmm. Lauren and I have mentioned a million times the book Bloodline. I love when politics come into Star Wars universe. We didn't have none of that in the first three episodes. Mon Mothma was nowhere to be found. And uh, from the trailers, and the news, I was so excited for that element of the show. Now we have it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Devin and I love a heist. Now we have a heist. Okay. We all love seeing sort of the inner workings of sort of the the, the these uh, imperial factions that uh, maybe haven't been explored as much in the Star Wars universe. We're getting that now. So, I'm as we're kind of like not super feeling some elements of the 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 beginning game of this show. Like I'm actually excited about that. All the elements are there to make a really exciting uh, program moving forward. I hope.
2: Were you somebody who loved all the trade disputes in the prequels?
1: <laughs> tax- As a political junkie? <laughs> taxation, uh, taxation roots. Big fan. Love yeah, that storyline. Yeah,
3: <laughs> That's what I felt when I heard about the quarterly payroll. I was like, oh, no more tax. Like, I don't want to hear about this stuff. <laughs> it, this is not what I watch my Star Wars. That was like story, right in like the
1: opening out. crawl of Fantasmatic. It's like the taxation yeah, of systems like, is under. It's like, wait, whoa. No.
3: I. I literally remember being in the theater, going, "What? Yeah, like call my CPA? <laughs> what are they talking yeah, about? What's
1: happening?" H and R Block. Almost as
3: bad as the as the Dead Speak, but you know we won't talk about that one yet. Uh,
1: yeah. All right. Anything else before you guys want to hit on before we get to uh, Genevieve O'Reilly? Anything else about the show this episode?
2: Just that I really love her performance as mm-hmm. as Mon Mothma. I I think she has this like sort of. She, she does a wonderful job of sort of making this character her own while also drawing parallels to the, the Caroline Blakiston performance in return of the Jedi, which is something she talked about um, when I spoke to her. And I, I just, I've always loved Mon Mothma. She's always been kind of one of my favorite, you know, si- you know me, I love a weird side character um, in the mm-hmm. original trilogy. And she's one who I think actually like deserves to be fleshed out. And and you get a sense that there's like a backstory there. Um, it's kind of fascinating, you know, this is something I've talked about before, but, um, other than Leia, there are only three women in the original trilogy that actually speak. One is Aunt Beru. One is an unnamed rebel tech on, on Hoth who says something like, the shields are up or something. And then the other one is Mon Mothma. Um, and so, like, I don't know. She always just made an impression on me as a kid. And so there's kind of a joy to getting to see, like, okay... What does her interior life look like? You know, what's, what's up with her husband? Um, I love the whole bit of like uh, Stellan Skarsgård's like secret. Uh, he He's like an arts dealer. Yeah, you know. secret
3: art dealer. I love yeah. that whole thing. And like how they were just kind of speaking in code back and forth and like how the way they were at, interacting in the front room changed as they were interacting in the back room and how the, and she would just kind of flip back and forth between, you know, she flipped back when she was coming back to the, to the main room. So I, I loved all that stuff.
1: So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, she talks about that a lot. And um, I mean, you know, now that we've shared our thoughts on Mon Mothma and her terrible, loveless marriage, uh, let's hear from <laughs> the person who actually plays her and see uh, what she has to say. I spoke with uh, Genevieve O'Reilly. We talked about what it was like to have all her big scenes cut out of Revenge of the Sith, returning to the character here, and having to deal with what can only be described as a total tool for an on-screen spouse. And that conversation's coming up right after this quick Before we get into all the Andor stuff, Genevieve, uh, we here at Entertainment Weekly did a ranking a few months ago of the top 100 Star Wars characters ever, and Mon Mothma made the list at number 48, which when you consider all... Well, hold on a second. (laughs) that's great. That's (laughs) that's amazing. That's what I'm saying. With all the movies and TV
0: shows and animated stuff, I think that's a pretty good placement. What do you think? I think it speaks to the character and how and George George Lucas creating her originally, um, that she really means something within the world, that she was a strong female leader, that um that people appreciate her voice within. Within the world. That's a, that's wonderful because, you know, she doesn't have a lot of screen time. I think that's really generous of fans to to put her there. That's really lovely. She's powerful. She's a powerful woman. She um, is. She's a great antidote to Palpatine, I think. Yeah. Let's Let's go back for a
1: minute. You get cast in Star Wars for Revenge of the Sith. And you get cast as not just anybody, but like we're talking about, a very important character in the scope of the story. And one we had already met in Return of the Jedi. And the movie comes out and the scenes where you actually get to speak are not even in the film. What was that like for you? Take me there because I would have been devastated myself. How did you handle it?
0: Well, in fairness, um, George Lucas and Rick uh, McCallum, who was the producer there, such prose of course they wrote to me and told me so i knew uh, way before and they were so beautiful about that and kind to me as a very young actor so and and it made complete sense to me because of course it was all about darth vader becoming darth vader i mean Cinema has to have a singular focus for it it to drive. You know, cinema doesn't have a lot of time to tell the story. So I respected their decision. And when I watched it, it made total sense.
1: I like the sea. I wish it was in there. Obviously, you can see these on the deleted scenes. Uh, So your work was preserved, at least. At least we did get to see it. Uh, But I love the seed planting that it does to connect those trilogies. I also love that weird
0: like hat helmet type thing they had you wearing in one of those seats. What was that thing? I don't know. I don't know, but it looked cool. The, those costumes were extraordinary. Um, and they were very much of the time, you know, in that Queen Amadala kind of shape. Um, they were, uh, it was very sci-fi. Um but gosh, the stuff I remember, like it might have, might never have made the film. But of course, I carry it with me. I remember those scenes. I remember sitting next to Natalie Portman and working with J- Jimmy Smiths and us doing these brilliant scenes and C-3PO coming in with tea. It was amazing.
1: Well, you have that line in one of those scenes, um, those deleted scenes from *Avengers: of the Sith, where Mon Mothma says... We are not separatists trying to leave the republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the republic. So is that basically what she's been up to in the 14 years uh, uh since? And then when we
0: first see her here in Andor? I think so. I think she has been a woman who really believes in diplomacy. Really believes in the power of um, a, a democratic chamber for everyone to have a voice. I believe she has. With the encroachment of Empire and and Palpatine, she has believed that she could still effect change from within. That that she could make a difference. That that. Um, the chambers of of Parliament, for for want of a better word, can um, breed allies and can uh, create effective opposition di- diplomatically. I think when we meet her in Andor, she's at the end of that line.
1: You know, I, I you may not be able to tell this, but I'm I'm a pretty nerdy dude, Genevieve. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a pretty nerdy guy, and I read a lot of Star Wars books, and because that's how nerdy I am. And one of my favorites is this book, Bloodline, which takes place 25 years after Return of the Jedi. And it's about Princess Leia when she was a senator. So it really focuses on a lot of the political maneuvering that maybe is not the main focus for a lot of Star Wars fans, but I absolutely love. How fun is it to have a character that gets to play from the shadows, as it were, which you're doing here?
0: Well, I love political dramas, (laughs) I love um, intrigue and deception that can be at interplay within a political piece. I also appreciate, and even from a young age, appreciated that um, amid the action and the Ewoks and the lightsabers was a a political story in in Star Wars. It, It felt so resonant to our world. It is epic and yet it is intimate. It is fantastical and yet I can see myself in the, in the characters. And uh, what Tony Gilroy has allowed for and, and, and created time for here within the story is for us to lean into not just the action, but also the political interplay and the political um, uh, action
1: so uh let's get into what we saw here in episode four your debut on the show um including a, a the debut of a different hairstyle with the hair kind of slicked back a little bit some definite fashion choices going on and i remember when we first saw the trailer i was like oh okay all right mon mothma you go uh what tell us about the new look here uh, you're getting to create for this character and i assume multiple looks probably
0: Yeah, we wanted to meet a woman at a different time of her life, a woman who we get to be, you know, we get to be different people at different stages of our lives. And I certainly don't wear the same clothes I wore 20 years ago. So we wanted that for Mon Mathma. We wanted to meet her at a new stage, a stage we hadn't seen her before. And so you meet a woman, a very successful, Political woman, a woman who's been working at the height within empire for a long time now. She knows her stuff. And so um she is successful. she is sophisticated. She is a, a political mover. She is living in within a world of high society. so she want we wanted her look to reflect that. it's It's five years before she's in a bunker. also, what Tony has done is write a character, and certainly Cassian as well, in a polar opposite moment of their life to Rogue One, so we have somewhere to go. So why not meet her in an art gallery, in beautiful clothes, flown in on this extraordinary car, and navigating this sophisticated but deceptive life i love the
1: pauses you had because i always think it's i always love that when someone's like what can i say what can i say can i say this yeah i could say that no i can't say this but i can say that and that's all working in your head in like two and a half seconds i love it so much <laughs> you're well trained in that <laughs>
0: you can see my cogs turning <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh you mentioned the art gallery look it, 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 we we see this that it appears uh that she's working with this character Luthen, played by stellan skarsgard and that she uh, is uh, seems to be banked, sort of backdoor bankrolling his missions here against the empire. How would you describe their relationship and what's going on here?
0: What I love about when we meet Mon Mothma in Luthen's gallery, we see this very performative exchange between these two people. We as and it's enjoyable. I think you can see it. You can see the play, and then and it's in this beautiful set, this stunning set that Stellan and I were just like kids in a sweet shop. Like the 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 design is stunning. But the design also mirrors the scene because halfway through the scene we walk and we enter the back of of the gallery. So in the front of the gallery we have these beautifully curated pieces of art from from this intergalactic world. Um, and I think Star Wars fans will recognize when you look at it different parts of the um, Star Wars universe through those pieces. But then we kind of we move and we go behind to his workplace, where nothing is made, where it's all pieces and broken pieces and undone pieces. It's dark, it's black, and our exchange completely shifts. Our exchange becomes about what's dangerous, what we're trying to do, like you said, about the, about um, how to, how to fund rebellion or how to fund, um, uh, um, opposition almost. How can she do it? But she has to do it in a, in a way where nobody sees her. Where is the deception? And what they can reveal to each other. What lies they tell each other also within that. What We know they're revealing stuff to us as an audience. We know we're taking off uh, kind of those public cloaks, if you will, but also what are we hiding from each other? What are we not telling each other? It felt like sword play. Mm. Uh, it was, really special scene to do. And and you get to see more of stuff like that going through the public versus the private, what you reveal, what you hold. And I think that's fun within Tony's writing. I mean, that's the spy genre, right? Right. Yes. I love that stuff. What was it like working with
1: Stellan? What is he like as an actor on set?
0: He's an extraordinary actor, a very celebrated actor, but also a deeply respected actor by fans, but also by other actors. I was, I have such admiration for his work and now also getting to work with him, just the man he is and how he conducts himself. He's deeply collaborative. He's very generous. He's funny. He's witty. He's intelligent. We had a great time together.
1: Sounds like you're describing me, Genevieve. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, So, All the things I wish I could be. We need to talk about the marriage. All right. We need to talk. This thing seems a little shaky to me. What can you say about Mon Mothma's relationship to her husband, uh,
0: Perrin Firtha, here? I mean, it's awkward, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You have said before you're a bit of a nerd, so you will know that, that Mon Mothma has been a senator since the time she was 16. What Tony really was interested in exploring was what is that if you've been that since you were 16 what is the orthodoxy that you live in and you have had to live within that you were married at 16 or before and you are representing your planet in a political sphere at 16 what are the constructs of your life that allows you that and that 14 years later you are still there what is that cage and he's exploring that he literally says at one point must everything be
1: boring and sad i mean what does that say in terms of their being what what appears to be
0: a pretty wide gulf in terms of their outlook on things it exposes how much of empire is also within the marriage and how far she has to go to fight for what she really believes in she has to lose a lot because you know because you've seen episode four her husband is empire. Mm. Perhaps her life is empire. She has to escape it, right? Or she has to risk stuff. And she ends up with the, on, in that re- rebel bunker.
1: Well, he clearly seems to enjoy the pomp and circumstance. And she, as you mentioned, she has, to, she has to put on her face and endure a lot of these sort of high society events. How does she do at these dinners sitting next to people that, as she says,
0: hate her and work against her every day in the Senate? Well, she's a politician and she's been a, an effective politician for years, so she's very good at her job. I think she's an extraordinarily political beast. What she's not revealing is her own passion, her own drive. Obviously, it is revealed in the scene with Luthen. but then she goes home. I think it happens that way. Yeah. And you see that she very quickly has to put that armor right back up again. So, who can she trust? You
1: know, you brought up the bunker, and you know we 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 see Mon Mothma leave the Senate and go full in rebellion in Rebels, which you voiced the character for. And that takes yeah. place in the same time period as Andor, and we know this series leads up to Rogue One, where she's in full rebellion mode. So I assume we will see that switch happen at some point on the show,
0: right? I I think so. I mean, I I imagine so. We know, like I said before, we started in such a completely different place uh, that it allows for a space. It allows for this five years to discover where this woman goes and how she navigates the dangers and the risks that is her life and how she ends up in a world where she introduces Cassian Andor to Jane Erso,
1: and so what we know right now in this series is she's uh, working with Luthen. She's having some trouble at the bank. The people she used to count on are not there anymore. She's they're having some
0: following t- her. Yeah. They're being watched by everyone. That's right. And she's having
1: some issues at at, at home uh, with the husband. What what can you? I know you got to be careful, but what can
0: you say now that we know all that about what's coming up next for Mon Mothma on this show? I think it's a really clear place to start because what you have from from episode four is an understanding that this is a deeply complicated woman. It's, it's, It's less of a face that we've seen previously, and we know that it is intricate and that it's complicated and that it lives within the world of Andor, but also in the world of Rogue One, where it's gritty It's a bit dirty, it's a bit gray, it's a bit shady. She perhaps might make compromising choices that we haven't seen before. We have a woman who has the seed of rebellion within her. That's what we see in Andor. We see a woman lean in to the seed of her own rebellion. I can't wait to see how it shakes
1: out. Uh, I love this stuff. I'm excited that you're back in the fold, and
0: uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Our thanks to Genevieve O'Reilly for joining us this week. She's so cool and you're so cool for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you want to be even cooler, you can follow and rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. we would be forever in your debt for that. You can also hit us up on social media if so inclined. You can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly, everywhere else, you can also tag and follow us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week.
2: This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.